Notice each time in each one of these points how he's describing how much energy and effort the person is putting into their labors, the commitment that they have to the quality and the excellence of what they're doing. He says, what is a man from all this toil and striving of heart beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. Can anybody relate to that? Staying up all night or thinking about why isn't things, do I going to have the cash to pay the people who are working for me? Is this person going to finally pay for the work that I've done for him? Am I going to get new customers? I think for, for many of us, these verses sound extremely familiar. You see, what the, the, proverb, the author of Ecclesiastes is saying there is, is two, at least two things. The first thing he says is, we really want to give our lives to something that is meaningful and significant. We really do. Everyone in this room wants to feel as though what they're doing is going to make a difference in this world. It's going to make a difference for us. It's going to give us that sense of satisfaction and meaning. So he uses terms like, I toiled, I used my wisdom, I strived with all my heart. The second thing we discover in these passages is that there's a lie and the lie is that hard work is going to bring us the happiness and the sense of gratification and the sense of fulfillment that we deserve. You see, what the author of Ecclesiastes is doing here is exactly what the last sermon series that we had focused on. It was called Disordered Loves. And what BP and I focused on in there was the fact that if we give ourselves wholeheartedly to loves in this world and make them the place where we're seeking our ultimate satisfaction and our meaning, we will always be disappointed. And we looked into giving ourselves to romantic love. We looked into giving ourselves to all different areas in that. But if we give ourselves wholeheartedly to our work and expect our work to fulfill us and give us completion, we're going to be dissatisfied. I have a friend whose um, father-in-law made a killing in real estate development. And by the time they were married, he was married to his wife, um, his wife's family was very rich from, from the success. And uh, occasionally, as what happens in some marriages and some families, uh, he and his wife would get into an argument with her parents about something. It could be on vacation, it could be in other situations, but they would occasionally get into arguments. And what my friend said was that his father-in-law's ultimate threat in every argument was, I'll take you out of my will. I'll take you out of my will. And my friend said this, he always threatens us with his money. That's the only way he thinks he can hold on to the affection of his family. You see what's happened there? A man who's given himself wholeheartedly to his work and believes his work is the ultimate end of his life. And now the only way he can try to maintain the love of his family is by using threats over money. The book of Ecclesiastes says, that's vanity. That's chasing after the wind. You're not going to find ultimate satisfaction in that. Now, the, second, or the next section of Proverbs we're going to look at is Ecclesiastes, excuse me, Ecclesiastes is, is verses 24 to 26. 
And the author of Ecclesiastes says, well, you know, after thinking those three vanities, there's nothing better for a person than he should enjoy eating and drinking and finding enjoyment in his toil. That he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, he said, I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, God, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give it to the one who pleases God. Now we find some interesting ideas embedded in that passage. The first thing we see here is that work is actually a subset and not the totality of life. It's an important subset, much like eating and drinking, it's an important part of our lives, but it's still a subset and, only the to- and, and not the totality of it. At the same time, what we, can, we see here is that work can be abused, and it can't take the place of God. It's a subset. If it takes the place of God and becomes an idol, that's the abuse of work. It can give a sense of su- fulfillment and satisfaction like eating and drinking, but it must be seen as from the hand of God and not take the place of God. If it does, it becomes a chasing after the wind. I worked, um, when I was in graduate school, I worked a number of times for a CPA firm, and uh, I worked during tax season in this accounting firm at one point, and um, interestingly enough, there was still an office and still a desk for the founder of the firm. He was now easily in his mid-90s. And uh, he had started the firm actually back just before the, the Depression hit. And he had been working. He, he worked diligently to get his firm going. He started in his basement. And he poured out his life to get his, his CPA firm going. And he gave his entire life to his firm. And now he's in his 90s. And even though he turned his business over to his son, who, by the way, was doing an excellent job, he still would come into the office every day in his suit and coat. He'd shuffle into the office, go into his office, sit down at his desk, and basically shuffle papers all day long. And he would often mumble and call out to people and generally made life miserable for the people around him. Now, on the one hand, I deeply appreciated the fact that I had this job. And, uh, and I was seeking to understand how to do it in a way which would be beneficial to the firm, which would be honoring to, to, to God, and, and for me to learn about accounting and about different businesses. At the same time, all of us in the office struggled with this founder because here's a man who had poured his life into his business, and now at the end of his life, all he could do is shuffle papers and grumble at people because he had made that job his God. He had made that business his God. The third thing we see in Ecclesiastes, the last part, is is really verse 26, where it says, For the one who pleases God, for the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. What we see in that passage, in that last part of Ecclesiastes, is that the purpose of our work which is a subset of our lives, is to please God. That our eating and our drinking and our our vacations and our work and our time with our family, all aspects of life 
are to please God. Years ago, some Christians, in reflecting on the purpose of life, said, what is the meaning, the purpose of life? And they said, the ultimate meaning in life is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. You see, if work is seen as an important subset of our entire life and one way in which we can glorify God, then it's in its proper place, and it's no longer an idol. If work becomes an idol, then it's not going to satisfy us. So, later in the New Testament, uh, Jesus said this, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these other things will be added to you. The emphasis there is, in our work, as well as everything else we do, our objective, ultimately, is to seek first his kingdom. Paul says in Colossians 3.17, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, whether at home or at work, whatever you do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the Father through him. You see the emphasis that the scriptures give? Scriptures do not say work is bad. As a matter of fact, work was given to us as human beings before the fall. Now, after Adam and Eve rebelled against God, God cursed work like he cursed everything else, and therefore work is hard. But at the same time, it has a, perfect, a great place for us in our lives. But it has not become God. It is not the source of our ultimate affection. So whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It reminds me of a, a story that I once heard about three bricklayers. Very simple story. A person came along and was asking the bricklayers, first bricklayer, what are you doing? And he said, I'm just paying my bills. And then he walked along, he saw a second bricklayer, he said, what are you doing? He said, I'm doing my job. He went to the third bricklayer and he said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm building a cathedral. You see the difference in perspective? I'm earning, I'm earning a paycheck, I'm just doing my job, I'm bringing honor and glory to my Father in heaven through the work that I'm doing. I'm building a cathedral in his name. This, this, whatever I'm working on, is going to have my name stamped on it, and it has my God's name stamped on it. What an attitude in life. So, in conclusion, what do we find in Proverbs, what do we find in Ecclesiastes about our attitude and our view towards work? Well, work hard, is what Ecclesiastes says, and seek to do your work in a way which is excellent. That's what Proverbs says, excuse me, Ecclesiastes comes back and says, work is a subset of life, and it won't ultimately fulfill you, but as we do our work, we're to focus on glorifying God. Again, as I was reflecting upon these ideas during the week, I thought of a friend of mine, actually a group of friends of mine that you know pretty well. Some of you have been enjoying their labor this morning. Our friends at Swift and Finch. Now, if you can't see that, that's a picture of Mark McLucas, who is the roaster over at Swift and Finch. And um, Ellie Mahon has pulled together quite a team of people, and Mark being one of the, the key players there. And uh, I, I've told Mark this on a regular basis, even though he doesn't understand. I said, Mark, you're not just a coffee roaster. You're an artist. And he kind of looks down on the floor, and I said, you know, I said, let me tell you what I mean. 
you do a beautiful job roasting coffee. You've worked hard at this. You've developed the skill. And you might be able to see down below here, he has his computer out. This is when he's, Mark was roasting. He has his computer out, and he has his notes. He's taking notes because Mark not only is, is, is monitoring the current roasting he's doing, but he's comparing the original batch with the batch he's doing now, and he's always thinking about improving and developing the coffee that he's roasting. And I said, Mark, the work that you're doing here is honoring to God. And he, he said, you know, what do you mean by that? I said, here, this is what I mean. Every morning, I get up and I fix myself a cup of Swift and Finch coffee. Okay? And every morning, I give thanks to God for having a great cup of coffee and not having just a, a mug of mud. Okay? And I said, so first of all, I give thanks to God for the work that you've done because you're giving me a blessing of having this cup of coffee. Secondly, I said, people all over Floyd County come to Swift and Finch to meet and to talk together and to conduct business and to share their lives. And they don't just come to Swift and Finch because it's got great music playing in the background or because they like the decorations, as great as all that is. They come because they enjoy the coffee and the other goodies that you all are putting together. Because of the excellence of the work that you're doing at Swift and Finch, people from all over the county are coming here and gathering together. And I believe that that is a ministry of tremendous proportions for this community. And it's bringing glory to God through the way that they're doing their work. You see, God is glorified, and the kingdom of God's expanded, and Rome is flourishing because there's a group of people who are doing their work to the glory of God and seeking to honor Him in the way that they do it. And that happens throughout this community, as we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what we're doing and seek to bring glory to him by, as Paul said, in whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do all for the glory of God. So the challenge we have this morning from the book of Proverbs is, yes, work hard, seek to be excellent, seek to bring honor and glory to God through the work that you're doing, and his kingdom is expanding, but don't make work an idol. For work in and of itself will not bring satisfaction. But work done to see the kingdom of God brought to Floyd County and to Rome, Georgia, and to the world through the work that we're doing, that brings satisfaction and meaning because we are then engaged in God's kingdom building for his purposes. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, even as I look over the congregation this morning, I see professors, I see lawyers, I see physicians. Father in heaven, I see administrative assistants, I see teachers, I see people who are involved and engaged in commerce. Lord God, you call us as your picked representatives to do the work that you've given to us in a way which brings honor to you. Father in heaven, I pray that you would give us that sense of fulfillment that you are bringing in your kingdom through our labors and through our relationships and through our families. Oh, Lord God, protect us. Protect me, Lord, because if there's anyone in this room who's a workaholic, who seeks to find his satisfaction in his work, it's me, Lord, and I confess that. Father in heaven, I pray that you would lift our eyes up to see how our labors 
through limited capacity, brings honor to the name of Jesus Christ and is taking one step to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this vision of work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the best illustrations I could share with you, stories I could share with you about what I was saying is this. His name was Harlan Davis. He's retired now, but uh, Harlan was a septic tank cleaner. And I had a tank that needed to be cleaned a few years ago, and I asked Harlan to come. And he came, and I watched as he opened up the septic lid and took his hose and washed the septic area and then pumped it out. And I thought, well, that's pretty much what everybody always does. Then I watched in amazement as Harlan put on waders, like if you were to wear it to go fishing, and went down into the septic tank with his hose and literally washed all of the walls of the septic tank with his hose inside the tank himself, and then went and got his pump and pumped out all the rest of the sewage that he had washed while he was standing in the tank itself. I mean, you could have gone in that tank and eaten a dinner off of the floor. It was so clean. And he got out, and after he cleaned himself up, I went and I just said to him, Harlan, would you help me understand why you went to that extent to clean out my septic tank? He didn't know who I was from Adam, okay? He didn't know I was a pastor. He didn't know what I did. He just looked at me and said, well, sir, I clean septic tanks in Jesus' name. And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, put your whole heart and soul into it as work done for the Lord and not for man. Now unto him who is able to keep us from falling and who is able to present us faultless before his presence with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior be glory, majesty, dominion, and power. Whether you're cleaning a septic tank, whether you're serving a customer, or whether you're just loving on your family. In Jesus' name, amen.